Good afternoon, and we are back in full force here on Office Hours, episode 360-some, over 4,000 guests that we've had, and uh, I have the double mics here. Welcome, Mike Diamond and Michael Unbroken to Office Hours. Hello, Elsa. Hello, my friend. We have an international keynote speaker, consultant, and the author of Safe to Great now has a newly released book about leadership and we're super excited uh as uh people have different perspectives with safe to great the new psychology of leadership welcome skip bowman yeah hey guys great to be here super great great to have you here well you know obviously uh leadership has been a big part of consultative work um but it has changed throughout the years and the philosophy of what it is to be a leader, how to be a leader, as we have servant leaders now and all types of you know different perspectives on leadership. What is the new psychology of leadership today? Well, we're facing new times. Um, leadership often becomes this sort of like the story of how it was done a thousand years ago or 500 years ago, that kind of thing. But if we look at where digital technology is going, how our societies are changing, uh, if we look at, you know, how the climate is changing, how that's influencing the jobs of the world, you know, we need to we need to do things differently. And and it's no doubt, which I talk about in the book, uh, the way that AI and the way that social media works today, we've got to lead differently um, to create credibility and trust. Yeah, it's not quite the same as it was 30 years ago when I first started my career. And I don't think many leadership theories today really take that into consideration. They're very much stuck in ideas about leadership that have been around a long time. I'm not saying I'm sort of like reinventing the wheel, but it's important to us to think about what does this fast-changing world, how does that influence how we relate to people, how do we create great workplaces? So that's kind of what I wrote the book for. Smart. Skip, being a fellow Aussie, you've obviously travelled around. Um, Coming from Australia is a completely different culture then coming to a place like America, completely different style of leadership. Um, and then how has that helped you get a different map of like your perspective and reality? Because the more you travel, the more you see, the more you see leaders and, and just cultures. Sure, uh, Mike. I mean, I'm, I moved to Europe in, when I was 22, I think. Um, learned French, uh, then uh, learned Danish um and now learning german <laughs> so you know i can see the world through the through the the optics of different kinds of cultures and languages i mean that doesn't mean i've, I've worked a lot in the middle east as well and in asia i want to consider myself an expert but i'm sensitive enough to seeing that yes we have to adapt to the various local cultures um but the research if we look at the research scientific research it's pretty clear that there are ways of leading that work a lot better than others okay and i think sometimes we make it hard for ourselves and sort of not relying a little bit on the, the research which points in various directions about you know this what we call the humanistic model about putting people first this matters whether you're in the middle east or not there'll be some leaders that are more informed about that or not and there'll be some but but in principle most of these people are aspiring to getting involved um being treated with respect being valued etc um, I think today the hard part is that we often have to work virtually, digitally, uh, and that is undermining trust. And, and 
you know, I've got a friend of mine who's really exploring, you know, these deep facts. You know, he's basically recreated himself as a, an AI phenomenon. And you're sitting there wondering, what will, what will, how does that communication work when our leaders can basically fake everything? And we can't tell the difference. Or maybe they're already faking it already. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe, maybe the fake, maybe the fake is better than the real version. <laughs> That's sometimes I wonder whether a robot would make a better boss. At least it's more reliable. I, I would have thought. No, Mikey. He's on mute. Mike, you're on mute. You look uh, good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Skip, you, you know, one of the things that That's you have is an extensive thing. He's going to come on the background. show, but not speak. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm just here for <laughs> Somebody's got to be the beauty, David. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Skip, obviously, you have an extensive background in psychology. It's really, really impressive. Yeah. From a mental health perspective, and especially looking at the world we live in, and now this conversation about like, are people putting in the, the full effort and energy? Are they AI? Like whatever's happening? What, what kind of toll or, or even I guess I would ask you, what is the element of, of mental health that we need to be aware of around leadership and what we need to do to protect ourselves and lead adequately when we're in the time that we're in? Uh, the times we're in are really bad for mental health. Uh, you don't have to look beyond the opioid crisis in the US or even in Australia, uh, you know, real mental health issues. Um, when you've got that much metal, meta and amphetamine in the, in the sewage system, <laughs> you know you have a problem, Houston. Um, so I think the, the big difference about the way I'm looking at this is we have to create communities at work and we have to create communities in our societies. And... Most leadership development has gone down the line of individualizing everything. But it's your responsibility. You have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your boss. So that's cool. But that's just not how we create mentally healthy teams and mentally healthy communities. If we all become individuals and get treated as individuals, it's actually bad for us. Our connection to our neighbors, our connection to our teammates, our connection to our communities matters a lot, right? The most health, the most significant determinant of mental health is relationship and we've got to get away from this individualistic model it's got to be about how we connect better even though digital etc we've got to connect people uh, the people who are most vulnerable uh, mental health wise but also to conspiracy theories are people who are isolated so a big battle today is fighting isolation and, and getting people connected building communities etc Sorry to keep you up, Dave. Yeah, what yeah, the hell right. is that? I was like, Dude, how boring is that? I'll say the big F word, Dave. If you, if you, knew, how early, if you knew how early I was up this morning, it had nothing to do with uh, your answer. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for calling me out. Uh, appreciate that as well. That's okay. Think, think I always get worried my audience starts yawning. It's years of experience. It's time to change the subject or start dancing or, or something. Oh, I don't know what. Like, like I said, he's a world-renowned international speaker. As <laughs> boring as batshit. He's <laughs> funny. I gotta make a clip of this. This is, that is so, so good. good. I was like, I, I'm sitting here listening, and I'm just, I couldn't even give an excuse. You need more coffee. Uh, yeah, <laughs> leadership uh, in the expertise of safe uh, to great. Um, 
when we're looking at being great in in comparison to the safe way to, to lead, obviously that's part of the book. Uh, where is that transition occurring today where you see leadership was safe, but now we can add uh, some sort of character or skill set that makes it great not to be safe, I assume? It's sort of like there's a book around uh, around psychological safety written by Amy Edmondson, which has become really popular um, amongst leaders and organizations. It becomes a bit of a buzzword, right? And my theory is it's that people don't feel safe. Ah. So if you look at the original book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is kind of like a, a famous book around leadership and stuff, the, the, the thing is it's not good to great anymore. It, it's actually getting people safe. And when I, that's connected to this relationship idea. So I felt it was necessary to sort of say, okay, if people feel psychologically safe at work, feel valued, feel respected, then we can be great. And this is, this is the same with basketball teams. It's the same, unfortunately, the Navy SEALs, if we want to go down that path. If, that's the point. If you feel like you're in a family, you feel that you're safe, you can exceed expectations and you can surprise yourself in terms of performance. It doesn't happen without that sense of value and, and feeling safe. It's just not, it's not going to go anywhere. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Skip. Please, everyone, reach out. Learn how to get from safe to great. Learn about the psychology from someone who has years of experience and has lived through it. I always say there's nothing more courageous, Michael Unbroken, than a 19-year-old life coach that is trying to teach us about all types of things at 19. We're talking about someone, a seasoned vet. Uh, and someone who has an expert. You mean I'm old, Dave? Thanks for that. Yeah. Buddy. <laughs> old, old, old. If you want it's someone not your day, Skip. That's old and boring, if you want someone that's old and boring, <laughs> buy Skip's book. No, wisdom, <laughs> wisdom, wisdom, and faith is what will get you there from safe to great. An extraordinary speaker, author, and friend. We will have him back on when I'm more rested to truly exhibit how interested I am in what he's doing. Thank you so much, Skip. We apologize uh, for uh, no worries, guys. my personal uh, <laughs> behavior, but thank you. Bye, Skip. I love real. You have a good one. Thanks for the time. Yeah, that's yeah, what makes yeah. this show great. Go tell your PR agent never to book you here again because Dave yeah, Meltzer right? is an ass. Um, <laughs> what the F? Look, I was so good while you were gone, Michael Unbroken. I was amazing. It was... It, it wasn't our well, normal. Well, add on. First section back, poor Mikey was muted himself. I know. And that he looked so good. I was like, what is he saying? I, <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually am reading this book um, because obviously in the studies that I have, understanding mindset, heart set, and handset, I look to people like Skip and understand, you know, nothing frustrates me more than a 19-year-old life coach. And so, you know, someone with true knowledge and experience combined that wisdom that we talked about. Uh, my biggest question was, is that shark behind him real? Um, when we were talking about what's real and what's not real. <laughs> I need a better background. If you can bring up big Megs behind you, you're, you're bringing it. Uh, so once again, publicly humiliated David Meltzer. Thank God I have better guests and better hosts than I, Mike Diamond and Michael Unbroken. Uh, we got to be careful now. We cannot insult our next guest. Uh, and she is here graciously uh, to help us. The president of Maxler Systems, uh, Mir Dallas, thank you for joining us on Office Hours. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, I'm going to keep you from yawning as much as I can. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, please forgive me up front. <laughs> um, but, you know, trailblazing uh, your way as an entrepreneur um, in a transitive platform for physicians who are entrepreneurs. I want to get into the um, conflict that exists with physicians who are entrepreneurs. Um, it's, you know, we're, my brother it followed my mom's dream for him, which was to be a doctor. And he was much older than I was. And when I went to college, I said, hey, man, do you have any advice for me? And he said, don't be well-trained, get educated in college. He said, I'm probably one of the most trained individuals, an expert at what I do. And I'm trained to do it at the highest level because my position and occupation is saving lives. And I'm very well-trained. But unfortunately, in order to get really trained, I had to ignore education. And so I always had a different mindset when I was in school to figure out what I wanted to be good at, which was making money. And they've defined making money now as entrepreneurship. And I know a lot of doctors that are well-trained, but they don't make a lot of money. And this conflictual being of being an extraordinary physician and an entrepreneur, uh, there are platforms needed, I think, to help mold or, or heal the, the interference between the two. What was your personal experience with being a, uh, uh, with, with seeing or being uh, uh, with these physicians and seeing how they're trying to be entrepreneurs? You know, I have to go a little bit back to our previous guest, your previous guest, Skip. Uh, he was talking about people not feeling safe. And in our case of physicians, we don't feel safe many times giving the care that we want to give because it's controlled by third party payers in these days. That's the problem that we have. So we don't feel safe. Um, in my case, I went through burnout, not feeling safe that I had no control over my patient's experience, over the employee's experience, over my own experience in the setting that I was. And looking for that safety that takes you to other areas. And then I found entrepreneurship to be the tool that helped me get out of that uh, burnout uh, process, process. And I had been, I had owned clinics before and we had successfully so, uh, sold our clinics, but then going through entrepreneurship as you know, your, your family was saying, it's like, we go and get educated in medicine, but we don't get educated in business. And one of the things that took us to this point is that you know, through COVID, we had that experience of having that growth. I had already read the books of Good to Great and all these business books and all that stuff that we were talking about earlier. But we really don't have the the acumen to really be successful at being entrepreneurs as physicians. So that's where we come with our mastermind. Um, I see entrepreneurship, and I think this is the same for any entrepreneur. It's not only about the finance of the business. We also, you know, start with designing that vision we go through the mindset, wellness, making sure that we have habits to make it last through our lifestyle, then adding those uh, things about finance and um, and uh, business that we really don't learn in school. So for physicians, we start with that lack of safety, that lack of trust in the system, but we really want to provide that to our to our patients in many cases. And many other, many other physicians just start because they're entrepreneurs at heart and that's been their life and all these things. But we don't necessarily, because of our training, have the time to really develop and learn all those other tools. So that's where the challenges, as you mentioned, are. 
Do you think um, one of the biggest things is like I work, I'm an interventionist and I work with addicts and sometimes I can go days, weeks doing interventions, two or three interventions a day. And you do get burnt out because you're dealing with people's problems. Do you think because being a physician, it's really tough. And then to, and then you've got to learn how to be an entrepreneur, which is a whole different mindset. It's, it's all right brain. It's creative. So it, it comes to a point that a lot of people go, well, someone else will probably do it. Do you know what I mean? And we don't realize that we've got to do it. We've got to take the lead. Do you think that can be the conundrum sometimes? That can certainly be. Um, you know, one of the things that I found out, it, you have many different types of people like anything, right? In anything you have, uh, you know, we do the DISC uh, uh, personality um studies and all these things were in our mindset so determine which type of person you are and also there's that creative and there's that person who's only memorizing and all this stuff so if you're a physician who has a creative uh, mentality having this system where everything is kind of memorizing given to you you can be creative in looking for new answers for your patients and putting plans together and all that stuff but that might not be enough for you and one thing that happens is that even though we have to study year after year after year for our boards and, and you know, all these uh, uh, credits that we have to take extra every year, uh, we still have, uh, we're used to like having things thrown at us one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it might happen that during periods of time, like we are get a little bit bored too. So having access to some entrepreneurship things can help us also with that in that setting when you're like somebody who's creative if you get the right tools to really um, be able to channel that creativity through entrepreneurship then it's like wonderful because not only uh, one of the things like we have great one of the things that happens in medicine is that it's such a funnel we all the things that we have to go through to get to where we are there's a certain level of educational excellence that's expected is not that we're better than other people in general it's that that part of of having been able to retain so much information process so much information it's it's funneled to that extent so that we have done like you know we're we're capable of doing that now we just have to learn how to do all these things but we didn't have the time and um, once a certain maturity happens in in your career then you will have the time and, and you're ready. Like, you know, you're not the 19 year old uh, coach, yeah, that, coach. Like, uh, life coach, but we're able to do those things later in life. There's a lot of physicians nowadays that I'm seeing more and more and more that because burnout in medicine has been recognized much earlier than before. It's now talked about, which wasn't uh, in my days. I've been doing medicine for over 20 years and, and uh, it's, it, it was never talked about. You were like, you know, you were going to do your 24 hour shifts and going into 36 hours and it, it is what it is. Now we're able to talk about all these things. And you see younger physicians then applying these um, tools earlier in life, which is exciting. And I think it's great for, for our communities. What do you find is like the turning point when somebody is maybe working at a large practice or under someone or in a hospital facility. What is typically happening in which they make the decision to take the entrepreneurial leap? Because, you know, as people who are entrepreneurs here, it is a dangerous game that you decide to play when you step down this path. Is it just, is it burnout? Do they want to do their own thing? Like what is really happening behind the scenes that leads people down that path? 
you know, it's going to be different stages for anybody. And it's going to be, um, it, I, I have a podcast where I interview a lot of, of physicians or entrepreneurs. And one of the things that I found is that through all these stories, there was always something like in your past that, that is like, like the story started so long ago, right? In my case, I learned um, entrepreneurship from my parents. It was, they were entrepreneurs. That's what they were. They didn't have like all the necessarily the financial acumen that they should have had to be able to lead that life. But that had that early on. So I was somebody who was always curious about it very, very early. Um, so I see that type of, of uh, person who had that background of entrepreneurship earlier in life do it much quicker. Um, it also depends on who you're surrounding yourself with. As I said, you know, like nowadays, there's many hospitals who have gotten rid of the um, a, the room where you go, uh, the lunch room, right? The break room for all the doctors. And what I say is like, if you're such a fortunate doctor who has that area in your hospital when you can sit and be with other doctors, look at the tables and look at the table that where they're happy. You know, don't sit with the ones who are complaining about the system. Sit with the ones who are happy. And if you're a doctor who has had access to people who are happy, it's most likely because they're doing things that are making them happy. Most of them are going to have entrepreneurship somehow. They're going to have real estate investments. They're going to have investments in other ways. They're going to be contributing in some other ways. So if you're a doctor who has access to those things, you're going to be quicker to act. When you're overwhelmed as a physician where you're burnout, we tend to either like, you know, um, you go numb for a period of time. You can go numb and then just do the things that you have to do and then feed your family and go numb for years without getting out of there, without recognizing it. Um, You can get into environments that will wake you up. Um, It will depend on your upbringing. Um, and, And I think that has a lot more to do not necessarily with how upset you are about the system, because we have many people who are upset about the system and they just keep complaining for years and they don't do anything to change. Um, And they just don't know that they have that as a possibility. So when you ask me, which is a great question, when is that? I think it's when they have that extra knowledge that that's a possibility. And that can come either from from them being brought up like that or the environment where they are. And your platform and your podcast and design your physician life uh, is absolutely a great way to start the process of identifying the right ideas and the right people in order to facilitate that happiness and entrepreneurship, the possibilities, probabilities, and perspective that's necessary to be an entrepreneur. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for joining. I do have uh, an introduction. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, Dr. Eric George is one of the best physician entrepreneurs I know. Uh, he has exited uh, for hundreds of millions of dollars. He owns hotels. He is absolutely a phenomenal uh, orthopedic surgeon as well. But uh, he is someone that I think you would enjoy interviewing and knowing for your uh, network of people who want to help each other and know people that can help each other. Check out Maxwell Systems. Check out my friend, Dr. Mer, <coughs> sorry, Merdilis Diaz Ramirez. She is amazing. She's helping everyone enjoy their lives, whether they had to go to med school because their parents wanted them or they actually wanted to. There's much more beyond being a doctor. Thanks for joining us, uh, Merdilis.
Thanks, Kate. Thanks, everybody. And I look forward for, to that introduction. Uh, Eric, Dr. Eric George, Raluca will make it today. He's amazing. And uh, I made it through without yawning. And you were terrific. So thank you. I tried. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see All you right. then. See you later. Uh, all right. We got three C's in the house now. That's right. Uh, he is here. Uh, we give him A pluses. But he is the owner of the Startup Club. Hopefully, I'll get to see him soon because I'm coming to Fort Lauderdale next week. I'll be at the Rick Macy Tennis Academy in Boca. We'll be in Fort Lauderdale. We'll be in Hollywood. So hopefully, you got my invitation to come and see me next Wednesday. I'll be there. Uh, love to see you. Colin Campbell, and I didn't know the middle initial till now. So he's triple C. Uh, Colin Campbell is the owner of the podcast, The Startup Club, and an author of Start, Scale, and Exit repeat serials entrepreneur secrets revealed there it is uh one of the key components of being an entrepreneur is making money happy helping people and having fun no better way to do that than to start a company scale a company and actually exit it welcome to office hours colin campbell oh thank you for having me on i'm very excited i feel i feel very honored to be on the show we're honored to have you and i could not there was after the first guest you weren't here yet there's no direction but up for me these two guys have been carrying their own but you weren't here i i somehow on video gave the biggest yawn in the middle of an answer and then the guy called me out i'm going oh my gosh you know like am i boring you <laughs> oh god anyway i'm gonna try not to yawn for you either as a serial entrepreneur yourself i always say that if you love what you do even if you're yawn when even if you yawn when you do it if you learn to love what other people don't like or other people don't love or you don't like or you don't love, if you learn to love what you do and you do it consistently and you do it without quitting uh, and you do it long enough, it's going to tell you all its secrets. And when I look at your career, that's exactly what you've done. And you've learned all these secrets and now you're revealing them for free to people in your book. Uh, they can change your life, level up your business. They can scale, start and even exit your business. So thank you so much. What is that kind of rinse and repeat process that you've learned the secrets to do? Well, David, I had the opportunity to fly to MIT to speak to a group of entrepreneurs in 2012. And in that session, uh, it was the Masters of Entrepreneurship program put on by Vern Harnish uh, yeah. and also uh, Patrick Thien at the time. And they asked me to speak because I had started, scaled, exited, and repeated so many times. They're like, what is it your secret formula? Like, what makes a startup successful? And we were able to, this was really the genesis. I looked back at my career and said at the time, and at the time I was 40 years old, 42 years old. At the time, I'm like, I'm looking back and saying, okay, there were some patterns. And what I began to notice that there was the story, the people, the money, and the systems that we had at each stage of the company from starting, scaling, exiting, and repeating. And there are literally these patterns that occurred over and over again. And so that was the very genesis of the book, Start, Scale, Exit, Repeat. It started then 10 years ago, I started writing that book. Every time I get on an airplane, I flew to China 13 times, you know, for instance, for one of my companies. And every time I'm on an airplane, I was typing away, typing away, typing away. Two years ago, we sold a company to GoDaddy. And then I'm like, okay, we got to get serious about this. Uh, we did launch Startup Club on Clubhouse, almost a million members. 
And uh, we decided to hire six full-time staff to help interview over 200 people to figure out what is the secret formula. What is it that serial entrepreneurs, what is it that you do, David, Michael, and Michael, what is it that you all do over and over again? And just cracking that code and figuring that out has been amazing. Like just looking back and say what I did right and what I did wrong. And by the way, by the way, in the book, we go through the roller coaster. We go through the ups and we go through the downs. In fact, when I was looking up uh, this podcast, I didn't realize we had two things in common, David. You know what that is? Uh, we've made a lot of money and lost it. <laughs> You're, we're both best-selling authors, but we're also both lost $100 million. I was going to say, of, that's the one I picked. At the age of 28 <laughs> years old, the age of 28 years old, I lost $100 million of publicly traded stock. It's a, it's a different club. Uh, oh that one's a different gosh. club. Yeah, I like to be in the startup club way more than the guy who lost over a $100 million club. Uh, but I wouldn't be here today, nor would you, if we weren't fortunate enough to lose that money young enough to learn the lessons revealed in order to get to where we are today. And I, that's part of the reason I cannot wait to see you in Florida. Uh, and I'm, you know, if I have to send a car to get your ass to me and Rick Macy, there's going to be nobody else sharing that content. So uh, speaking of losing a lot of money, Mike Diamond has never lost a dollar. And I think it's all true. That is so not true. <laughs> I have come up short a lot. Trust me. Bad. But isn't, bad deals. but isn't it the failures that we learn the most about? Oh, yeah. Yet that's the least everybody yeah. talks about. Yeah, of course. And I mean, that's that, what. That, it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's feedback. It's always feedback, right? It's I not failure. That. It's always yeah. feedback. Um, but you know what I was going to ask you? Here's a, here's a brilliant thing. And I think maybe growing up in Australia, there's, there's not an entrepreneurship mindset. And I love that you, you know, start scale and, and get out. And, and that's not a mentality I grew up with. It's like, oh, you sold out. You know what I mean? And explain that because a lot of people think that's like greedy or they're, they're weird or they're like, oh, you just did it to flip it. What are you talking about? No. That's the whole that's the whole game, right? But some people are caught in that paradigm that you can't do it and sell it. So can you talk about that? Because a lot of people are stuck. Like, like, oh, that just doesn't sound right. Yeah, see, David was right. It, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is when you learn your lessons, you begin to develop a strategy in life. Yeah. You know, I wish I had read this book 25 years ago. It hadn't gone through losing the money. But, you know, start out in 1993. I just graduated from college. I went to work on the family farm, had no money whatsoever, and used that money from the family farm to start the first business, launched it with my brother. We launched a second business. It was in something called the Internet. Have you heard of this thing? It was called the Internet. So we launched an Internet access provider. Number one fastest growing company in Canada. We're on the front page of the ma- of uh, Profit Magazine, which is like the Inc. Magazine equivalent. Front page for being the fastest growing company in Canada in 1998. 1999, we decide to sell this company to a cable company. And we were publicly traded at the time. We were worth about $180 million, okay? And I own 13% of this. The company, uh, we decide to sell the company, but we're going to be locked up for 18 months, okay? We apply for a wireless license in Canada. We won the license. The stock went to over a billion dollars, $19 a share. I'm still locked up, though, but life is nothing could go wrong. 
what happened in March of 2000? Does anybody here old enough to remember? <laughs> Maybe just David. I don't know. Oh. Some judge announces they're going to break up Microsoft. And next thing you know, the NASDAQ falls from 5000 to 4000 We pull our $50 million offering. To the car here, we'd already gave up control of the company. Just didn't have any any cash for giving up control. And uh, fast forward eighteen months later, uh, the company filed for bankruptcy protection, and that nineteen dollar a share we sold for six cents a share. Fast forward six years later, another IPO. My brother and I started our company. Did another IPO. We sold to a Fortune five hundred company, and that we sold for all cash. We learned our lessons, but there are two big lessons I learned from that. And there's a chapter in the book called liquidity or control, liquidity or control. We don't want to be giving up control of our companies of our 10 years. We took us 10 years to build it. Number one, fastest growing to number one, last place. Okay. 10 years growing this company, the 10 weeks, messing it up on exit. We want to spend the right time on exit to not mess it up. Okay. And I always believe in liquidity or control. That means we're not going to be part of something unless we're getting cash or freely traded stock. Second lesson we learned, and this is the real genesis of this book, is bad things do happen. Do you all remember 2021? <laughs> do you remember something called the crypto crash? Do you remember the, you know, do you remember 20, 2020, the pandemic? 2021, the crypto crash, the tech wreck. 2022, I mean, 2021 was really actually pretty strong. It was early 2020, late 2021, early 2022, when the, everything began to derail. And we began to see the IPO market just completely shut down, right? And we have a company called Pa.com. I'm wearing the shirt right now. And three years in a row, fast uh, on Inc. Magazine, uh, one of the fastest growing companies, we had multiple buyers trying to buy our company. We're like, no, no, we did $39 million in sales. And I'm like, no, 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 we're doing well, we're doing well, all the, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, what happens to e-commerce companies? Publicly traded stocks fell about 90%, 95% e-commerce stocks. We completely dropped the valuations. So it's start, scale, exit, take some money off the table, repeat. Bad things do happen. And going back to 2022, it was 2020, it was a horrible year. Uh, we have 800 people in Ukraine and a company called Geeks for Less. What happened in Ukraine? <laughs> uh, our office, our, our office with $20 million facility was three miles from the front line. Okay. I have 19 vacation rental properties in South Florida. Half of them are on an island called North Captiva. What happened in 22? Oh, my God. The war, the hurricane, the insurance. Oh, inflation. Oh, let's hit this one. We are paying $22,000 per container to ship from China. We do 100 containers a year, 2,000 containers. In 2022, we paid $25,000 a container. That's an extra $2 million of losses. I mean, so if you think about yourself, you know, anyone who's running a business out there, a lot of people get an identity based on their business and who they are. And that's their identity. And I understand that. But if we can reframe your identity as being an entrepreneur, and you need to master that trade like any other trade. And when you do that, you begin to realize, I can start, scale, exit, repeat. 
Colin, that's, that, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's really powerful. And we all go through losses, you know, it's impossible. If you're an entrepreneur, you kind of just sign up for it. But you, you said something I want to just tack on to the end. How do you master it? Like in a simplified way. I mean, obviously we all know we've been entrepreneurs for multiple decades. Each of us here, we have a ton of experience and a ton of knowledge, a ton of in the field training. But if someone, let's say, to benefit people who maybe are just starting their journey, right? They're at that first part of the book. What do they need to master as an entrepreneur? Okay, if we're starting our journey here, and that's in the first start section, uh, I'm not suggesting you master, you're going to be, uh, you're a pet of one at this point. If I, I use Star Trek analogies in the book, sorry. I know you're a sports guy, right? But you're a pet of one. You're just getting started, okay? And the key is to really identify opportunities that make sense. Um, and in, in what I've discovered throughout, you know, the t- all the companies I've done, there's a few things you, you need to, to address. One is you need to identify problems and solve those problems. And that's pretty obvious. A lot of people have talked about that. But where I've done well is identifying paradigm shifts or technology shifts. Every one of my companies, including one we just uh, were launching now called Pencilla, it's an AI platform, $99 a month AI marketing staff for your e-commerce business okay every time we've gone into a new business we've rode a wave of technology and i am here to say yes we've had we have a difficult environment with high interest rates we have a very challenging entrepreneurial environment but to counter that we've never seen a paradigm shift or a technology shift like ai in our lifetime ai will mint more millionaires than any other shift in history. And I'm not suggesting that you have to launch an AI company. I'm simply suggesting that you can use AI to help accelerate your growth. So one of the things I often tell entrepreneurs to do is look for those paradigm shifts, look for technology shifts or regulatory shifts because bigger companies tend to move on those shifts much slower. Uh, Chapter three, we call it catching the wave. And I had this really cool opportunity to interview for the book, um, Jeffrey Moore, who wrote Crossing the Chasm, Inside the Tornado. It was one of the first books I read in the 90s. And this guy really, he reinvented the technology adoption curve by having a concept called, you know, early adopters and innovators, and then you have a chasm, and then you have a tornado. And just to be able to dissect that, understand that, how to win in a tornado, that's key. So I often, I see a lot of, I hate to say it, a lot of college students, they graduate and say, oh, I'm launching a t-shirt company. Or I'm launching a bar app, and I'm like, you know, there's about there's about a hundred paradigm shifts going on right now. Everything from self-driving to, you know, all these things are happening. And and corporations, fortunately or unfortunately, I had the opportunity to work for a Fortune 500 company after I sold my company in 2008 for three years, and I worked at the very top of the company. I reported directly to the CEO, and I ran uh, the company that I was running um, before I sold it. I continue to be CEO. The reality is there's a lot of lack of innovation in big corporate America. And enter the entrepreneur. When there's shifts or changes in environments, that's when we can come in. We also looked at scalable models. You know, my wife and I own a school in Fort Lauderdale, a Montessori school. And we hit like maximum capacity five years ago. And we're like, oh, what can we do to expand? And we're like, so we called a contractor and he says, okay, you can add this floor, you can buy the properties around you, you can do this, that, and the other, and that'll be $4 million, $3 million. So so basically, you know, we're stuck at 110 students. And my wife's okay with that. 
she's comfortable with that. Not every business needs to scale, but if you're gonna, if you wanna, and by the way, she's got 16 teachers, she's got 78 parents, she's got 110 students, and she's got more headaches on that business than I do running five or six of the 30, 40 million dollar companies that we run in our incubator here. So it's just fascinating to see how it takes more energy to run a small business than it does a big business. Uh, so the other thing I will say is it takes a village to raise a startup, right? And it, it, it really does. And this is not a time of like Steve Jobs and Wozniak when you launch a business in your garage. There are incubators, free incubators all over the United States that are here to help you. I, I, I teach at one of them called the Allen LeVan Center in South Florida. David, if you're coming down, it'd be awesome if you can check that out. This is a this has got $20 million of government funding. This thing is, it's free to join these incubators. And you don't have to be from NSU or any university. I've had people older than myself in these incubators. And uh, and you learn so much, gain so many contacts, and uh, learn to do a pitch and actually sometimes raise money through these incubators as well. I had the chance of interviewing Bridget Weston, who is the CEO of SCORE. And they have 10,000 volunteers. SCORE is... Put on, supported by the SBA. Yep. I don't know if you're familiar with SCORE. Yeah. And she claims that they, your chances of succeeding at a startup increase by three times if you have a mentor. You're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's all, these ta- all these things in the book that we look at. There's all these people that we interviewed to try to decode what it is to make a startup successful. And uh, I'm only touching upon a few of them. There's obviously a lot more. I mean, startups are complicated. But then it's scale mode. After you've got the startup going, then it's time to scale. Join the startup club. Get mentorship by the best. The Triple C himself, Colin C. Campbell. Go to colincampbell.com. Come join us at the Rick Macy Tennis Academy in Boca Raton at 2 p.m. next Wednesday. Colin's going to be joining us with many other great entrepreneurs. I think Kim Perel's coming along the way and many, many other of my friends in South Florida. Uh, some great entrepreneurs, but uh, simplified. If you can learn to scale effectively uh, as well of your startup, but eventually be able to exit and repeat and rinse. If you start scaling, exit and repeat, you too can have almost a collective value of a billion dollars of exits. And along the way, although you'll have the hiccups, in the end, they're promoting and protecting you to something bigger and better. Colin Campbell, what a great interview. Thank you for joining our neighborhood. We look forward to doing more with you. I can't wait to finish your book. Uh, I'll see you next week on Wednesday. All right. Sounds good. There it is there. And by the way, uh, let me let me finish with this. We, broke, we wrote, wrote this book for the ADHD entrepreneur. 58 chapters, 200 call-outs, 30 illustrations. It's really been designed to be a compilation of stories that draw conclusions to help you start scale eggs and repeat. Thank you very much. You got it, man. Lessons and stories. Colin Campbell, join us again. I'll see you Wednesday. Thank you. All right, boys. Takeaway of the day. Thank and welcome back, Michael and Broken. I missed you. <coughs> yeah, glad Mikey to be boy. back. Sorry I missed you last week. The, the planes in this weather are <laughs> insane right now. Um, well, we one of our one Vegas. of our businesses. We had, we had an unbelievable CES, unbelievable Santa Clara. People were asking. Where is your boys? And I was like, you know what? They are too famous now. 
and it's saving hard, lives man. on their own. So anyway, <laughs> we miss you. give us One your takeaways, boys. Yeah, you know, Mikey. I'll okay. I'll jump off. Um, I love what Skip said, man. It's like to be an effective leader in the time, you got to create safety, safety for yourself, safety for your team. Um, that concept about safe to great, it just makes sense. You can't be the iron nose leader anymore. I mean, you can, but there's a way to do it effectively, right? I think that you have to hold your team accountable, hold yourself accountable. It's, you know, when KPIs aren't met, you figure that out. But I think creating the a, a, a safety is important because ultimately, like people don't want to go to work and feel harassed when they already feel like that in every other area of their whole life. So, you know, it's it's something I want to think about a little bit more and, and find out how I, as a intense leader, I would call myself as an intense leader that I create a little bit more safety in the business. I love it. Yeah, you know what? Find interesting. Like we all we all talk about how. You know, it was, it's bad now and it was better before. But one thing that I've found, like people don't talk about the crack epidemic anymore. There's always been issues and safety comes from me taking care of myself first and working out the skills I need and not waiting for someone else anymore. Like there's information now, right? So if you're a physician, you've got to lean into being an entrepreneur. I have to become safe with myself because everyone blames the system. Do you know what I mean? Everyone says the system, the system's always been flawed. We know it's a rigged system. So we have to do the work on ourselves, go to people like Dave, Mikey, me, right? Work on ourselves. And when you get secure and strong from the inside, you can build the teams because people feel secure with you because you're secure with yourself. So it still starts with me. We're always looking, oh, the system, like everyone, the fentanyl. Okay, I go out and help people. I, what am I going to do? Oh, the system, all oh, the pills, all oh, the fentanyl. It's bad. So it starts with ourselves, get secure with ourselves, get safe with ourselves. And then that energy projects massively. Anyone we touch, they're like, I feel safe because we feel safe. To always bring it back to ourselves. I like it. As always, I agree with you guys. Normally, I have something synergistic. There's a, seems to be a common energy or thread in what we do. But today I'm a little bit different. I took something different away. Maybe I was sleeping through, uh, (laughs) uh, but it was actually um, the neighborhood concept of surrounding yourself with the right people and the right ideas. And, you know, Colin obviously and I share a time frame that's similar. I graduated from law school in 92. My mom told me the internet was a fad. We've read the same books, uh, went through the same challenges, ups and downs, backs and forth, but the secrets were revealed because we surrounded ourselves with the right people and the right ideas. And, you know, that story about the break room, if you have two choices, you want to sit with the table of people complaining or sit at the table of people that are laughing and enjoying their lunch, go to the people that are enjoying their lunch. The easiest, fastest way to get to where you want to be is to surround yourself with the right people, the right ideas to give you directions on how to get to where they are, which is passionate, purposeful, and profitable. That's what all three of our guests have. That's what both of you guys are today. We haven't always been there in that passionate, purposeful, and profitable. All three of us were as close to death as you can get from self-sabotage and worthiness issues. But today it's amazing where we are together. And that's why I surround myself with people like you, uh, both of you. And uh, just when you're not there, I miss you immensely. So please show up or else uh, I'll have some FOMO, the fear of missing Mike. I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for joining me on Office Hours.
See you guys. All right. <laughs> you guys are awesome. All right, boys and girls, that is office hours. We will be back tomorrow. Just as a reminder, this is the schedule. If you haven't joined our text community that alerts you where we're going to be, it's uh, 949-298-2905. That will alert you. That will be in L.A. doing a meetup on Monday. Tuesday will be at SoFi Stadium. Wednesday will be in uh, in uh, Florida uh, having a great time. Thursday will be in Atlanta with the Lunch and Learn. Friday, we will be in um, Nashville. And Saturday, Nashville. Sunday, we'll be at the ranch with Dan Fleischman and Michael Chandler, the Black Ops Group. Seven days a week, we're on fire. So come and join us in uh, L.A., SoFi, Boca, Atlanta, Nashville, and then Temecula, not Las Vegas. Uh, We are in Temecula at the ranch with Dan Fleischman. Uh, and then we go to Arizona, uh, and then we go to San Francisco, then we go to Las Vegas the next week. So if you're not a member of 949-298-2905, I can't keep track of where I'm going. I don't know how you can, but I want you to come and see us, join us. We do speeches, meetups, dinners, master classes, masterminds, lunch and learns. It doesn't matter. We are here to be of service and of value. Join a community of people that want to help each other and know people that can help each other. But remember, most importantly, whether you email me at david at dmelter.com, whether you join our text community, 949-298-2905, most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.